You're listening to the Whiskey Investment Podcast, the brand new show bringing you all the latest news, insights, panels and interviews on the world of whiskey investments. Dig deeper into the highest return asset class of the past decade and look beyond the numbers. The Whiskey Investment Podcast is brought to you by VCL Vintners, the UK's leading whiskey cast merchant. Find more online at vclvintners.london. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast brought to you by VCL Vintners, the London-based whiskey cask merchant which approaches the market from a financial perspective to maximise returns for clients. I'm Alwyn Gwilt, whiskey journalist and brand ambassador. In this month's podcast, we're delving into the world of tax and the implications you need to consider when it comes to your cask investments. Joining us this month is Simone Lyons of London-based accounting firm Gerald Edelman and Ben Lancaster, founder and partner of VCL. We will be exploring some of the key things that will help clarify how to best realize your asset when you are ready to divest and getting more tips on what avenues you can take to do so. But first, a look at some of the latest news from the world of whiskey. Old and rare releases of single malt scotch have continued to hit the market. Independent family-owned Gordon and McPhail has launched a 64-year-old whiskey titled the Mr. George Legacy 1957, comprising liquid from Glen Grant Distillery and made in honour of George Urquhart, one of the family members who helped steer the world to a love of single malt during his time working for scotch in the 1950s and 60s. Meanwhile, Loch Lomond Group launched the latest in its Remarkable Stills series. This time, it's a 46-year-old whiskey matured first in American oak before a finish in Pedro Jimenez and first fill Oloroso sherry casks. Meanwhile, one whiskey enthusiast got a rather nice surprise when a cask of forgotten whiskey was found at the Macallan Distillery. The whiskey lover had made the purchase on a whim more than 30 years ago when visiting the distillery, only to forget it was there. The cask sold for over £1 million on Whiskey Hammer, much to the owner's delight. And as COVID relinquishes its hold on the world and the Scotch whiskey industry begins to open up to visitors, more distilleries are getting large investments from their parent companies to shore up their on-site facilities. The latest, Dalmore, will see a major investment from owners White and Mackay, which will see new whiskey-making facilities and a visitor experience created. The renovations aim to also assist the distillery in achieving its environmental targets of becoming net zero by 2040. And now to this month's podcast. Simone, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you. Great to have you both here. It's going to be a very interesting topic. Um, because I think it's something that people should really be aware of, of where those next steps are when it comes to making you know, choices around what they want to do with that whiskey they've invested in. So Ben, let's start with you. For every investor out there in whatever category, whiskey, whatever it is, understanding the options when you wish to divest is very important. And I thought maybe we could start by explaining a little bit more about some of the options available to our listeners who will, of course, no doubt have some whiskey investments. Yeah, no, I think yeah, you're right. In, in terms of an investment, you know, ultimately, any investment is only as good as the exit strategy you've got. And I think one of the, the major things of whiskey is that you have maybe three or four different routes to liquidate in the asset that you've got. 
First and foremost, there'll be VCL. You know, we'd, we'd offer the clients uh, cash bid on, on the stock that they have because we'd always be happy to take whiskey on depending upon our stock flow at a particular time and the distilleries and the age statements that the clients own. We have a good network within the trade, you know, whether the bottlers or, you know, maybe other, other brokerages who are looking for good liquid. And, and obviously, we've been trading now for well, just into our 12th year. So our stock levels that we hold are quite comprehensive. So I think that, you know, we're well known for being able to satisfy most people's demand in terms of any distillery or, or age statement. The secondary route or third route in its infancy at the moment, but has been utilized to some of the older and rarer casts is, is more the auction side of things. So I think currently it's something which is not necessarily uh, sort of a large space, but at the same time, it's, it's growing. The more demand we're seeing at the moment, the more people buying whiskey, the need and demand for that trading capacity from an auction perspective is growing too. So I think Whilst it's something that's in its infancy, it, over the coming years, you'll start to see that become a lot more prominent. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. you see, cash beard, another investor, domestic or international, would be happy to sort of take it on or, or auction. And, and as I said, moving on within the trade. And when should investors be considering these options? Because with any investment portfolio, there's usually a recommendation of how long one should hold that asset for. Do you have any recommendations you give clients in regards to those types of timelines? Everybody's different. Everybody has a, a timeline of investment that suits the certain criteria. From our perspective of VCL, it's a three to five year sort of minimum threshold is what we would indicate. Naturally, yeah. if the client's you know, situation changed, we'd facilitate that you know, exit in a timely fashion. As I said, everybody's different. Some people have a, a five to 10 year or a 10 year plus. So I think three to five would be the minimum we, we'd anticipate, but the majority of our clients tend to hold for longer. And Simona, just listening to some of those options that Ben has laid out there, whether that is um, selling VCL, buying those back for cash or going via the auction route or maybe selling it over brokerage or a bottler, independent bottler. Are there any immediate watch outs that you would think of that people should be aware of from a, a tax perspective, certainly if they're based in the UK? So the key thing with the whiskey cost investment and tax is that as long as you are reselling the whiskey in its cask in the bonded warehouse, it wouldn't matter which course of action you take and who you sell it to because it would be tax-free as a wasting chattel. The issues would come at the point it's removed from the bonded warehouse. And Ben, obviously, these types of investments are all held in bonded warehouses. Is that correct? 99% of all transactions we do are on a cask-to-cask basis, and that's all done within the bonded warehouse or within the distillery, which will have its own bond anyway. But yeah, so that's the bulk of our business is conducted in that way. We're obviously speaking about UK investors at the minute. Simone, is there any other watch outs for overseas investors or, you know, this is this is currently very much the way it operates if you're a UK investor, is that correct? As a UK investor, you come under UK capital gains tax. If you are an overseas investor, UK capital gains tax on these whiskey cars wouldn't affect you. So you wouldn't come into the scope of capital gains tax in the UK on this particular investment. Whichever jurisdiction you have come from, there will be taxes to consider there. Right. So it's always considered at the place where you are personally based rather than where that cask itself is. It is for this particular investment. That doesn't apply, obviously, to every investment (laughs) going and certain things would be taxed in this country. But this particular investment that we're talking about, you'd need to be UK resident for these rules to apply. No, that's great. That's very useful for our listeners to know. And so, Ben, just coming back to some of those options that people do have, just delving a little bit deeper into them, can you explain maybe some of the differences between 
selling to a brokerage versus selling to a bottler or an investment company? Because I mean, listeners may not know kind of what these different entities do or how they would necessarily operate or why they'd be interested in buying a cask. In terms of, you know, those sort of particular elements would fall under a trade route. That's what it would boil down to. So whilst we do a fair amount of business, which is on, you know, domestic investors or international domestics, they're, they're all individuals. You do have two elements within that. So you're going to have those individual transactions with individuals that are investors, but you're also going to raise an exit strategy. Yeah, you, you work within the trade. The supply chain at the moment is, is incredibly tight for various different reasons. You know, there's a lack of production because of, you know, lack of materials or COVID, for instance. And so, you know, when you've got that element of supply or an imbalance, which you're experiencing at the moment, then you're always going to go to try and find other means of acquiring cars that you need. You know, most bottlers will have a decent sort of um, warehouse or, you know, itinerary or, or library of whiskies themselves. But then they'll also be looking for particular malts particular years for special occasions maybe or special releases or you know they might be contacted by somebody who's looking for a cast to fit that criteria for that you know an anniversary for instance so you know the trade routes are there they're in place they sometimes they're a bit more specific reasons than more sort of general releases in terms of how vcl operates on that side you would generally as a first point of call if if one of the investors wanted to sell off a cask you would be the first step in terms of them, I guess, first refusal, is it? They would go to you first. For us, it's, we'd always, we always want first refusal. I mean, ultimately, you know, anything we offer to a client, we offer on the basis that we'd be happy to buy back. And naturally, we would want first refusal because it's our links and it's our judgment that sort of took those casts on. And if they go on to perform, then we wouldn't want to release those outside of our own remit because we'd rather keep them in-house and, and we can benefit from that liquid when it ends up in a glass like every liquid does or whether or not we get a specific inquiry that we're able to sort of, you know, meet that requirement. So we'd always want first refusal. As I said, it doesn't mean to say that we take it every single time because if it's stock that we have quite an abundance of within our library, then we may say, well, look, rather than us taking it from the client, you know, we'll broker it out, for instance, whether that's, you know, trade or another investor may take it on. So we'd always want first refusal. doesn't necessarily mean we'll take it every single time. We're not in a position to take it off on that particular juncture, then we will make sure we're able to market those cars in a timely fashion to help the client realize the capital they need. And in terms of auctions, um, so maybe you can give some more context on this. If an auction is taking place overseas, i.e. the auction isn't happening in the UK, throwing this question in, if it's happening in, say, Hong Kong or something like that, do you know if there's any other implications if the seller is in the UK, but the cask is going overseas. If the cask leaves the bonded warehouse, then you've got a problem. But I don't think the cask would actually move. The cask can never move. The only way it can move is if it's poured into glass. Yeah, of course, because that whiskey, in order for it to be called scotch, must be bottled in Scotland. Makes sense. I was just, I just had this sudden thought of, hang on a minute, there's a lot of overseas auctions. <laughs> Does this have any implication? But great to know. Now, it'll be staying in that bonded warehouse, even if that is taking place in, a, in another market. On that note of auctions, Ben, can you give any more context on NFT auctions? Because I know that's Metacast has started playing in that space a little bit. So can you tell listeners a, a bit more about that as well? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, I think I touched upon this before with, on the subject matter, but auctions have always been a route to market to, for cars to be sold. They normally would be the domain of, of older and rarer liquid, for instance. The NFT side of things, you know, the auction, so auction routes have traditionally been carried out by the majors, you know, whether that's 
Bonhams in Hong Kong or, you know, Christie's or Sotheby's have, have yeah. also done sales of whiskey and whiskey casks. But, you know, the NFT side of things is, is a much newer space. It's a great opportunity because it's allowed us to combine those two worlds effectively. Mm-hmm. And the result was a world record-breaking cast sale. So there is an appetite out there within, say, an, an online or an overseas community. I suppose what an auction allows you to do, and I think with Metacast, one of the things for us, it's, it's about allowing anybody in the world to purchase any cast at any particular time. It's sort of the most important element of that, because if, like I said, you know, auctions do become a more uh, sort of conventional exit strategy, as opposed to being something quite specific or unique, mm. then you're going to have to have that ability to be able to reach to a much larger audience and online auctions yeah. or you know, Metacask and, you know, that side of things will really does provide a platform that is 24 hours a day and allows, you know, as I said, anyone in the world to purchase a cask at any time. Yeah, no, definitely a very interesting space to be considering and watching it. And obviously great, you know, you're obviously in the doors early when it comes to operating in this space. So no doubt um, of interest to listeners for the next, you know, few years. And as you say, a lot can change in the three to five year time periods when someone's holding a cast, because five years ago, we certainly were not talking about NFTs. So very fascinating space. And then I guess just finally as well, independent bottling. Now, this is an arena where things shift a little bit, I think, shift the dial a bit when it comes to the world of tax. But first, Ben, uh, can you explain a little bit more about how VCL can help investors bottle their casks if, if they wanted to go that route? And then, Simone, maybe we'll talk a bit more about what those implications would be from the tax perspective. We offer, you know, exit strategies that I've already touched upon, but, you know, bottling a, a cask is, you know, it's, every bit of liquid in a cask eventually has to find its way to a glass. I mean, whiskey has a shelf life of, of 50 years or under. You know, you do get the odd occasion where it will last beyond that, and we've got some of those in our library, but it has to go into glass. You know, we're not ignorant to that fact, and we provide a service where we will help clients do so. You know, that whole process will involve from the design to the glass to the bottling itself and then the finished product. So, you know, we've, and we've also done bottlings ourselves as a company. And we've just recently, today, in fact, it's been bottled today. We did a release for the Queen's uh, Jubilee, which has just been done. So I think bottling is, is quite an exciting avenue. You know, it provides you with a finished product, which is very different. But when it comes to our clients, even if we were exiting an investor, for instance, who'd owned a cask, the transaction would, you know, for us, we'd still do on a cast-to-cast basis. You know, we would take the cask and then bottle. The client can still maintain that, that CGT benefit. If the end result, the client may want it for an anniversary or a special occasion, you know, was only a few weeks ago having a client meeting and they wanted to bottle a, a cask of whiskey for a wedding. So they were having quite a large amount of guests at a wedding and they wanted to, to sort of do it for that reason. So we do provide it and we do assist and, and we'll get it from cast to glass. But yeah, everybody's different. And, and the reason behind why the client needs to utilize that liquid in a bottled format, for instance, will, will vary from client to client. And then in terms of the tax side, Simone, so what are some of the implications if a person did want to then have all those bottles of whiskey leaving the warehouse? It depends again, because as Ben said, often VCL will buy the cask and then they'll bottle it as the company, in which case the investor will still have the CGT benefit of having sold the cask. If the investor themselves wants to do the bottling or instigate the bottling and own the bottles at the end of the day, so if the cask has, I don't know, 250, 300 bottles from it, and they are going to take those bottles, at the point the bottling happens, excise duty and VAT become chargeable. So suddenly it doesn't become tax-free. So VAT at excise duty, which I mean, I can go into all the rates 
excise duty is £28.74 per litre of alcohol. So it's dependent on the percentage of alcohol and then you multiply that by the number of litres. And then VAT is applicable on the market value, on the value of the liquid in the cask. Plus VAT is also charged on the excise duty, which I thought was like ridiculous. You're paying tax on tax. That's what this country is, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then there's costs. But again, the warehouse and VCL would help you through that process. So it's not something you would need to register or incur because they would hold your hand throughout the way. Let's say you've got your 250, 300 bottles of whiskey. I don't know what the value of these are, but as long as each bottle is worth less than £6,000, if you decided to sell them, there wouldn't be tax on it because they would be classed as a chattel. So you've paid your VAT, you've paid your duty, but then actually, as long as each bottle is worth less than £6,000, there won't be any additional tax for you. Right. So theoretically, everything investment is in, you know, (laughs) possibilities. But the possibility would be that if you decided to go down that route, bottle it, you paid all the tax and et cetera, you might be able to recoup some of those costs by selling those bottles on individually, if they were individually worth more than what you paid for from the cask. But again, this is all very theoretical because it massively comes down to what those individual bottles would be worth. But if they were worth less than £6,000 each, you can take that money back without having to pay any tax on that. Yes, but one thing just to be cautious of is that you're not caught for trading. So as long as it remains as an investment, which is fine, I'm sure if you've just done one cask, but if you then decide to do this as a regular thing, there is always the risk that HMRC will treat you as trading and then you're paying income tax rates. So I would say if you want to just take some advice outside of, obviously VCL will help you through the process, but just take some advice as well. Tax advice is something we'd always we'd assist with, but we'd always advise clients to seek their own anyway, because I'm not definitely not an expert in tax in that sense. But um, from our own perspective, as particularly with clients and investors, you know, we cast to cast transactions are the most time and tax efficient way of exiting the market. And that would be our preferred method for, for clients when they come to sell, because, you know, even with bottling, you know, you still have to incur a certain amount of costs with glass and labeling yeah. and things like that. So it's not the most cost effective, but like I said, you know, people will bottle for different reasons. And ultimately, if you're, if you own a cask of liquid and it's effectively a wholesale rate, if you have a, a large gathering that you want to do a, a release for or an anniversary or whatever, or someone's leaving a retirement and you've got the year that they started to work for you, for instance, then you would happily pay that because to go into a shop and buy over the counter would cost you significantly more, particularly if you wanted to buy 100 bottles or plus or 150. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So absolutely some benefits, whichever way you look at it, there's options out there. But I think most importantly, what listeners will take from this is there are lots of options you aren't stuck and VCL will be very happy to advise people in terms of what routes are out there for them to be able to take with these types of investments. Well, thank you so much, Ben. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I know you've been on the podcast before. And Simone, from Gerald Edelman, thank you so much for, for joining us today with this discussion, because I know that tax is an arena which people don't necessarily like to think about, but it is very important to actually make these considerations. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Very much appreciated. And um, for anybody out there listening, if you do have more questions, do definitely reach out to the team at VCL and we will speak again very soon. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us here at VCL for another Whiskey Podcast. I hope the advice and information provided by Ben and Simone assist in your decisions. And particular thanks goes out to our guest Simone from Gerald Edelman for taking the time to take us through those tricky tax categories. 
Make sure to tune in next month when we'll be exploring more stories in the world of whiskey. I'm Alwyn Gwilt, wishing you an enjoyable and whiskey-filled month ahead.